Hey, thanks for joining us online today. I'm Kevin, lead pastor here at Thrive Church. Have you ever met somebody who's become cynical? Like as they got older, they became more cynical. It's not skeptical. It's not, you know, being a little doubtful, but cynical, meaning that they see nothing positive the older they get. Everything is almost like in this Christmas season, bah humbug. Well, during this series called A Grinchy Christmas, we want to show you how we, how we become cynics. Maybe you're becoming a cynic and you're realizing it and you don't like uh, the fact that you're becoming more negative as you get older because of life experiences. We want to show you, and we're going to look at the Grinch because this happened to him as a hopeful young little Grinch. He became what we know, uh, have known as the Grinch. We want to show you how we can become cynics and then the cure for this disease called cynicism how we can move back to having hope again as individuals, how, how we can be healed from our hurts. And so I hope you enjoy this series uh, called A Grinchy Christmas, and I pray that God would heal your heart and help you to destroy cynicism and build hope again in your life. All right, it's good to have you guys with us. I'm Kevin, uh, lead pastor here. It's good to be back with you guys this week. I was at the Richmond campus last week. I had a wonderful time with those guys. And if you've just joined us today, you've joined us at the perfect time of the year, not because it's the Christmas season, because we've started a brand new series called A Grinchy uh, Christmas. And if you have your, your copy of God's Word, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes is a really long word there, uh, chapter 4 in the Old Testament. Now, something my wife and I do every year is, uh, well, we did before we had our son, and now we rarely do it, is we would go to see a Charles Dickens, the, A Christmas Carol. Anybody like that live play? Anybody go watch that? Um, or if it comes on TV, right? Watching A Christmas Carol is something I just love to do. It's almost like part of the season. There's movies you watch, or just like part of the season, that's one of them. Uh, well, uh, when you know the story of A Christmas Carol, you know the one guy, and his name is Ebenezer Scrooge. And what you find out about him is what we find out about ourselves. We looked at the Grinch. We find out that he was not always Scrooge. Matter of fact, it's so bad that his name is used as an adjective. You probably called somebody Scrooge this year, right? Maybe or may have, maybe not been your spouse, but you called somebody that. <laughs> but there's a language that goes along with Scrooge. And so if you remember what he's known for, what is his language? When he looks around at Christmas, when he looks at it, he says what? Bah humbug, bah humbug, everything that's beautiful, everything that's great about Christmas. He says bah humbug to it. What we've been looking at so far is that we've looked at cynicism and how hopeful people can become cynics in life. And we've been looking at this guy named the Grinch. I remember last year, uh, my son watched his first movie ever. He was around three and a half. He actually sat through the movie. He wasn't like walking around wanting to play arcade games. And I watched the Grinch, and it never dawned on me, or maybe this is the newer version of it, had really shed light on it, that the Grinch was not always the Grinch in the way that we know him. At one point in time, he was a hopeful little Grinch boy, if you can call him that, who had hope about Christmas, but he had his expectations dashed. He had his heart hurt, and from that, he became someone who was cynical about Christmas and everything about it. And so today, you've not come to hear about Scrooge. You've not come to hear about the Grinch, have you? You want to hear about the Bible. Why is the Bible so? Well, I want to show you the Grinch in the Bible. Matter of fact, there's a guy named Solomon. He was the third king of Israel. And Solomon started off as hopeful as well. He was super hopeful about life and about marriage and about relationships. And we know this because he wrote three books. The first book that Solomon wrote was the Song of Solomon. And when you read that book, it's all about, like, love. Like, this guy is all about this girl, right? 
the Shemuelite woman. He is just like, man, I mean, it is, it's a racy book. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a little strange if you read it, but it's hopeful. Then you look at Solomon's next book in his trilogy of books. It's called Proverbs. And Proverbs is a book about wisdom. It's like 140 character tweets, right? You just have all these little, these little like tweets about wisdom. And there's 31 books there. And I always say if you read one proverb a day, you'll keep ignorance away. Uh, matter of fact, my friend and I talk in Proverbs language. So yesterday he's, he sent an article to me about something. I started the proverb. He finished it. And so you see Solomon as this middle-aged man full of wisdom, leading one of the greatest, if not the greatest nation in the whole world at that time of Israel. They were facing their greatest economic season. Uh, when it came to military, they were uh, unstoppable. He had just built the temple. Like, things were going really well. But when you read the third book that Solomon had written, something goes wrong. Matter of fact, the, the, fact that the, the book about Ecclesiastes realized this. It's not hopeful at all. When you read Ecclesiastes, it's like the Grinch wrote it. It's like Scrooge wrote it. And somewhere along the line, Solomon went downhill. I don't know what happened to him, but the whole idea of the book of Ecclesiastes, if you read that book and you study that book, there's one word that can describe that book that he uses. It's called meaningless. Like when I went through seminary, you kind of found out each book in the Bible, what's one word that could describe that book. Like the Gospel of Mark, it's immediately used 42 times. Ecclesiastes, it's meaningless, chasing the wind. The whole book is kind of like, why bother with it anyway? And I want you guys to read this in Ecclesiastes 4. Solomon gets to this point in his life, and here's what he says. He says again, I observed all the oppression that takes place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. The oppressors have great power and their victims are helpless. And so when you read Ecclesiastes, like last week he told you in chapter 1 that he kind of surveyed the area. He's researching. He's looking. He's kind of like a sociologist or an anthropologist. He's looking over everything. And so he sees what's happening. And then look at the conclusion he comes to as he looks at the oppression of people. And here's what Solomon says. So I concluded that the dead are better off than the living. Merry Christmas and welcome to Thrive Church. But he says this, and then he goes on. He says, but most fortunate of all are those who are not yet born, for they have not seen all the evil that is done under the sun. Solomon, in his older years, becomes a cynic about life. Last week he said this, I've seen that God has dealt a tragic existence to humans. I mean, when you look at that, he's become a full-blown cynic. And what we said last week was a cynic is not somebody who's just skeptical or somebody who's cautious. There are some of us who are by nature just cautious people. You know, we're a little maybe even skeptical. Like, you know, we're not the ones that's going to buy your product for your new business at first. We're skeptical of it, right? You see somebody who gets magic coffee that you can lose 100 pounds in three months. You're not going to buy it yet because you don't believe it, right? You're the skeptical. It's okay to be skeptical. It's okay to be cautious. It's not okay to be cynical. And what we determined was this. A cynic will trade hope for hurt. They trade hope for hurt. And I want you to realize this about a cynic, is that they actually have a certain language. 
like what you know about Scrooge, and I said this, and it all clicked, was bah humbug. And as you just read, you know, Ecclesiastes, some of you are all like, Solomon, ugh, that's that's terrible. Why would you say that? Solomon had a language. Matter of fact, he read a whole book about it because he was a cynic. And what I want you to realize today about a cynic, and you're going to realize about yourself, and you may realize realize about those around you, is that cynics have a certain type of language. You You have your notes handy. Write this down. Here's today's big idea. And it's this. A cynic is filled with negative language. A cynic is filled with negative language. Solomon wrote a whole book about it. And a cynic cannot stop. See, a small who's cautious, if you're cautious or skeptical, you can be reserved about it. Matter of fact, if you're cautious or skeptical or you're that processing personality, you won't blab it out, out to everybody. You'll sit back, you'll kind of think about it, you'll process it, and then once you've come to, you know, a lot of study, then you'll share your thoughts. A cynic is not like that. A cynic wants everybody else to be as cynical as they are about that thing about that situation, about whatever hurt them, they want everyone else to be as hurt about it as they are. So a cynic has a certain language. They're just filled with negative language, and they want to affect other people's view of that thing because they've been so impacted by it. Now realize this. I'm not beating up cynics, and you'll hear my story. They're just sharing out of their hurt. They're sharing out of a true experience that happened to them. But what happens is with, with cynics is we didn't deal with last week is they have a certain language. Now, here's some language that they, that they use. Here's some things that they really uh, focus on. And the first one is this, if you have your notes handy. They focus on what they're not getting. A cynic will focus on what they're not getting. You've heard of glass half empty and glass full? People, right? How many glasses full people are there here? Like you're really just glasses full, optimistic. You're the, yeah, we need you in our life, right? How many people are what you call like glass half empty people? Like you're like, oh man, you know, yeah, okay, some of you are like that. And you're probably married to the one who's half full and you guys, <laughs> hopefully you balance each other out. You don't know each other. But then, then you have cynics. And here's what a cynic does. A cynic is the glass is empty. It will always be empty. And why do we have a glass anyway? I had somebody send this to me earlier today, um, tag me on Facebook, and they said, because um, they were here at the first service, they said, a realist, because you have the optimist, the pessimist, it says the realist is like, well, who's going to wash the glass? That's what they're worried about. But a cynic is like, why even have a glass? It's going to get empty. It's going to get dirty. Bah humbug about glasses. And so that's what a cynic does. They focus what they're not getting in their marriage. What that person is not doing for them. They focus on what they're not getting at their job. They focus on what they're not getting in that friendship. They are focused on what they're not getting. It's always the negative part. And see, this happens in marriages. When you first meet somebody, you idolize the very fact that they're completely different than you. You love it. Like, like think about it. You know, like, like the really happy-go-lucky guy who just, who's so disorganized meets the woman who is detailed and organized and can keep her ducks in a row. He's like, yeah. She's going to keep me straight, man. This is awesome. I love the fact she's dead. And then in five years, they go to marriage counseling because she's controlling, she's nagging, and she <laughs> wants to control the finances. Well, you, lo- you idolize that about her at the beginning. Now you're demonizing that. And that's what we do. When we become cynical about something, whatever that is for you, we begin to focus on what we're not getting. The second thing that a cynic will do out of many things we could name is this. They talk about others as if they're intentionally out to get them. 
they kind of feel like the whole world's got this conspiracy theory against them. Or like people are just intentionally out to hurt them and do them wrong. I, I told one person one time, I, I served under a pastor a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And I served under this pastor. And I'll just be honest with you, when you look at like personality profiles, he was just an accidental mess maker. That's just what he did. Like just, that was his profile. Like, no, he's a great guy. But he literally didn't do anything intentionally. And I knew that because I worked for him. And I was the intentional guy. And somebody was really mad at him one time. And they said, I just know he did. I know he did this on purpose. I know he did that. And they're just going off. And I said, I, I don't want to break your heart, but can I tell you a little secret? I don't think he's ever done anything intentional. <laughs> they're like, what do you mean? I just kind of thought, they're like, well, I never thought of that. And sometimes we think the people are just out to get us. They're intentionally out, like this, everybody's got something at our job, in our relationship, and we begin to think negative of them. Almost like this paranoia thing. I was doing youth ministry one time a long, long time ago, and there was this one girl, and she would come into youth ministry, and she would always tell me, I saw them look at me, they're all talking about me. I know it. Nobody likes me here. And she just kept, oh, no, and finally one day I was like, hey, I don't want to be rude to you, but I won't be rude. You're not that important. Like, everybody's not looking at you and talking about you, right? But when, we, when we're cynical, we had this idea that even humanity, they're just all out to get us. That the person, uh, you know, that, that walked by us at the, at the grocery store and didn't say hi back, that they're, they're, they just don't like me. Well, no, maybe they're, they're thinking about the loved one who's just got diagnosed with a disease. But we go to the worst about people when we're that way. And then the last part is this. A cynic speaks with little or no hope for the future. Like, just like Solomon. Solomon had no hope for the future in Ecclesiastes 4. He's like, it's better. The best people in this world are those who aren't born yet. The second best are those who are dead because they don't have to experience any of this. And so what cynicism does is it strips you of hope for the future with that certain thing, whatever that is in your life. It takes away hope. And this is why this is important because in our faith, Paul writes, he says, there's three attributes that build the pillar of our faith, of our Christian existence. He says there's faith, there's hope, and there's love. Faith, hope, and love. Like the three pillars. And so what happens is when you get hurt enough and you get hurt deeply, you can trade hope for cynicism. And cynicism will erode faith because you can't believe the best about people or the best about jobs or the best about anything. Like you just are, are so jaded. And then if you don't have faith in people or faith, you can't love because you're so cynical, you withhold love because you don't want to be hurt ever again. You see how that works? And that's what the enemy of our souls would love to do. I shared this story last week when I was at the Richmond location, and, and I wasn't here, but my, kind, of, kind of how this whole series got birthed was in the springtime, I had kind of an idea what I wanted to do for Christmas, but I ended up scrapping it all because I'm staying in a fence at my house, and I'm doing that, and, and I, I'm listening to a podcast. And it was a book called you know, Never, Never Seen It Coming by Kerry Newhoff. And I'm listening to this first chapter, and it's all about cynicism. I'm going to be honest with you, at that point in time, until that day, I mean, I can literally take, I have a mental image of that day. I didn't know or even think I was a cynic. If you would have walked up to me on the street and talked about cynics, I'm like, yeah, man, I'm not a cynic. I'm good. But I'm listening to, to Kerry. He's talking about his experience and what he had been through in, in ministry and blah, blah, blah. And he talked about cynicism. And he talked about a lot of this. And I was like, Lord, I'm becoming a cynic. 
like literally everything he's saying is me. And we have sometimes those eye-opening experiences. And then I realize this, it's not good that I do that because that's not only about me, but I actually lead staff and I lead volunteers and then it kind of trickles down from the top, right? The organization looks like the leader. I said, and if I don't deal with this in my heart, I'm going to build a cynical, uh, uh, you know, leadership and I'm going to build a cynical church. I'm going to build people. And here's the thing, that means it's a people with no hope. I said this last service, as a pastor, you're called to be a hope dealer, not a dope dealer, She's like that. Come on, I laugh at my job. You know, I'm not called to deal dope. I'm called to deal hope. <laughs> but I realized I had lost hope. As we talked about last week about replaying and kind of looking about what happened in ministry. My, my first five years of ministry, I got my butt kicked. I'm thankful for that. So don't ever pity for what happened to me. But I remember, you know, thinking back to this one guy. I was working a full time job. I was leading three small groups. I was planting a church, meaning we were mobile. I also played on our worship team every week. I did all the PowerPoint for, you know, for my messages. I mean, I did everything. It was like I probably worked 100 hours a week, it felt like, you know, especially you know, with all the drive time and everything. And this guy who's in our church says, hey, Pastor, I want to bless you and your wife. I'm going to write you a check. I said, no, sir, I'm, I'm good. Thank you. You don't need to. Man, God's taking good care of us, but thank you. I really appreciate it. He said, no, no, no. I really feel like the Lord has told me to do this. I don't care what you do with it, but, you know, I'm going to give this to you. Now, deep inside, I'm like, thank you, Jesus, because we were broke. <laughs> I said, I said this before, we were so broke we couldn't pay attention, right? That's how I got ADD. <laughs> Y'all got to laugh better. This is so, so anyway, I, I'm, 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 you know, I, I, I go to church that Sunday. Uh, the guy gives me the check, and um, I put it in the bank, and I start writing bills out, right? I'm like, thank you. It's probably that Friday or so, sometime later, I started getting these things in the bank that tell you that you've overdrafted. You ever got those before? Yeah. And it's like, these three or four checks overdrafted, and then there was a fee. For, I mean, it, it was just crazy. And so I called the bank. They said, yeah, the check was canceled on Tuesday. And I was like, canceled on Tuesday? I mean, I'd already sent everything out in the mail. I mean, I was, I was on it. And I called the guy, and I said, hey, you know, so-and-so. I said, what happened? So, like, you know, we have all the, he said, well, I got mad at this other guy, and we got into an argument, and I'm just done with you and your church. I said, I didn't, I didn't know, like, yeah, I canceled it. And I told him, I said, well, I've got a lot of money that, like, my wife and I are completely broke. She's in school. I'm working as a social worker. I was like, hey, man, you know, we have a lot of, you know, these overdrafts. He said, let me write you another check. What do you want me to do? Like, he was really angry at me. I was like, nah, you're good, man. God bless you. And I hung up the phone. Now, I wish I could just end there until that's the last thing I ever experienced in ministry. But I just kept going on from thing to thing. My first five years, it was just a lot. And especially the first seven years was a lot of things that went on. But here's what happened. Now, God has shaped me in a good way with all that. Every story I tell you, God has used it for the betterment of me and shaping my character. But here's what I did realize. I realized that the compounding hurt that I'd faced that I'd not dealt with was causing me to be a cynic. I'd actually begin to lose hope. Lose hope in the very thing God had called me to. I remember sitting in a, with a form in church planters, and, 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 and you know, I'd already prepared the series, and I actually it was the week after um, I heard about cynicism, and I'm sitting there with my good friends, and we're talking to church planters, and there's this really happy church planter. He's a young guy, and he's just, like, so, like, naive. He's like, yeah, we're planting a church in Norfolk. It's going to be awesome, and we, we had our first service, and he was just like, oh, it's going to just be the greatest thing ever, and, you know, and my friend, and, of course, I'm I'm, you know, I'm, I want to train this guy to do well. I want, I want him to do well. Like, you know, but my friend, who's a complete cynic, he unloads. He's like, yeah, you think it's going to be good. 
this won't break you, son. I remember he, he was like he was John Cena, you know, trying to change, train, train. This won't, you just wait, it's going to break you. It's going to hurt your marriage. I mean, he just went, I was just like, stop. stop. That guy's like, uh, he just, whole expression changed. And, 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 but what I realized was this, cynics have a negative language and they don't stop with just their selves being cynical. They want you to taste that cynicism as well. So whether you're a cynic or you're being fed by a cynic, the whole goal is to infect you and to get you to the place where you don't have hope in that thing anymore either. And I don't know where you've been hurt. I don't know what you've dealt with. But you and I have a responsibility to find out where was it that we were hurt. Remember Proverbs 13, 12 last week? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Solomon wrote that. And by by the time Ecclesiastes got here, his heart was sick already. And what you have to realize is this. You've got to trace it back. When you look at the Grinch this year and you watch that movie or you watch the Christmas Carol, they can trace it back to right there is where it happened. So listen to your language about things, and you'll find out where are you most cynical about. Matter of fact, if you have your notes handy, I want you to to write this down. Here's our next step. If you're new with us, every week I give you a next step because Monday through Saturday is coming, and I'm not going to be here, and you're going to need to know what to do. Here's what you have to do. Listen to your negativity, and it will be a map to the root of your cynicism. Listen to your negativity, and it will be a map to the root of your cynicism. Remember last week, you know, Pastor Keith you know, shared with you guys about Elisha. And Elisha saw this guy, this young guy who was you know, building a school for ministry in the Old Testament, and he's chopping with an axe, and he's cutting the wood, and he's doing it. And all of a sudden, he's cutting. He pulls the axe out, and the axe head flies into the water. And he's sitting there with basically a stick. You cannot cut a tree with a stick. He's standing there. And Elisha walks up to him and asks him a question that I believe is so important to the series. He says, show me where you lost it at. Show me. Show me where you lost it at. And when he did, Elisha does the miracle where the axe head floats. He gets the axe head back, and the young man goes back to work. Friends, our axe head is hope faith, hope, and love. And so many times because we've been hurt, we traded our hope for hurt. And we're just like that guy there where we're sitting there wondering, what is my purpose? I feel useless. I feel like I'm not making any progress. It's because cynicism has taken away our hope. Trace it back to the root. Listen to your language. What you say is so important. Matter of fact, Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 34. Jesus says, you brood of snakes. So if you think you'd love to go to a church where Jesus preached, try again. You'd last about five. And he, he opens up. Like his opener is not screwed. Just, hey, brood of snakes. Love y'all. Right? No. He says, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? So what I learned in the Bible is offend people off the bat and they'll listen to you. That's what Jesus and Paul did. They were so offensive. They were like, yeah, and by the way, and I'm going to teach you something uh, there. But he goes on to say this, and this is important. He says, for whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Another version says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. My good friend and I that are in ministry, we would always say, yeah, man, that's abundance of the heart language when somebody says it. That's why Solomon wrote in Proverbs, don't just tell your friend you were only joking because there's truth to that joke. 
But you got to listen to your language or those that are around you. And you listen to it, it will be a map that leads them back to the root of where their cynicism had come from. And I want to be honest with you. God wants to bring healing to your life. And God has brought you here to Thrive Church because there are areas in your life, if you're like me where I was standing on that fence, the light bulb comes on and I'd become cynical. I'd become not the glass half empty, but the glass will always be empty and there's no use for the glass. Why do it anyway? Bah, hung, bug, meaningless, chasing the wind. I looked down at Whoville and I was angry at Whoville. If you're angry at Whoville, something's desperately wrong because Whoville's got to be the happiest place on earth, Right? But that's what I'd found in my life. And when you begin to chase it back to the root, you trace it back there, and you run after that thing, you'll find out where is it. But you've got to find out those areas and where you have lost hope. You've got to find out where is it, God, that I got so hurt that now I don't want to trust again. I don't want to get involved in that thing again. I don't know where that is for you. But we all have those areas. And here are two questions I ask myself that's helped me in this journey. I want you to ask these questions in your life. Here's the first one. To find out, am I cynic? Where am I cynical? Do you believe the best about people or do you believe the worst about people? What do you believe about people? Especially when conflict happens, do you believe the best about them or the worst about them? I talked with a pastor one time and I was, um, he was getting ready to leave the ministry. He had been in ministry for over 30 years. And I was talking with this, this pastor at this large church, and he's going through. And here's what he said to me that was so eye-opening. He said, I've lost hope in humanity, and I don't want to do ministry ever again. And you could tell by his demeanor that he was just done with it, that cynicism had fully taken over. And when cynicism fully takes over, you're completely paralyzed. You're done. Because cynicism is like a disease. As I said before, man, the very thing we're called to do is we want to give you hope when you come into this place. Hope in the cross, hope for the future, hope in eternity. Hopeful that your situation can change, right? Hopeful that people can change. And he had lost that. And you've got to ask yourself when it comes to dealing with people, do you believe the best about them or the worst about them? Do you believe that God can transform lives? Do you believe that God can transform your spouse? And better yet, let me just stop there. Do you believe God can transform you? Because sometimes it's not your spouse that needs to be changed, it needs to be you. And you're just blaming them. Man, y'all are quiet today. Y'all still my friends? So ask that question. Do you believe the best about people or the worst? Have you become more cynical in your life by what you've experienced or less cynical? Here, here's the second question you've got to ask yourself. Are you hopeful about your situation, or do you only replay the past? For many of us, what we do, you know ESPN Top 10 on Fridays. Everybody watch that, the Not Top 10. Anybody like sports in here besides me? So I watch the Not Top 10. That's what you don't want to make. <laughs> and they replay that all day on Friday. Like all day, you just see the Top 10. Not Top 10. And many of us, that's what we're doing in our life. We're replaying the past over and over again. It's just on repeat. And how do I know that? Because you have imaginary conversations with those people that hurt you. You still have them. The way I can tell that, that I've not forgiven somebody, I'm still arguing with them about that thing they hurt me with five years ago, seven years ago, ten years ago. 
I'm still arguing with them. And in these imaginary conversations, can I tell you something? I am so quick-witted. I mean, I tell them off. Every comeback you can imagine, everything, I'm just nailing it. Unfortunately, I'm not that quick-witted in real life. But, here, but here's what, I, but what, what I've realized with my cynicism was I, kept, I had actually not forgiven and released people. And I don't know exactly how it's happened, but I, but I know since spring I have had some of the most contentment and most peace in my heart that I've ever had in my life because I stopped replaying that. Because what I do and what I, what I had done was I was making people in my present pay for people in my past. And there are people God is sending in your life in your present and your future that will change your life that you're going to reject because of what happened that many years ago. So are you hopeful? This is a season of hope, right? This is a season of hope. So, so in your life, think about that. Because well, here's what you have to do. I can't do this for you. Church is not about, you know, an hour on Sunday. It's about God doing work in your heart all through the week and God speaking to your heart. And so here's what you have to do. Trace it back to the root. Find out where, where are the areas that I'm cynical at and where am I infecting others? Or where is that person or people infecting me and is causing me to lose hope? Faith, hope, and love. These three remain. Faith, hope, and love. My prayer for you is that you would know that your heavenly Father has a good plan for your situation and has a good plan for your life and that you would believe and trust that no matter what you see in front of you. Do not let cynicism rob you of the beauty that God has put in your life. Let's pray. Father, this morning we need you because we're dealing with heavy subject uh, during this Christmas season, God, and we, we need your help in it. Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak to our hearts because Every one of us in here have been, has been affected by cynicism in some way, shape, or form. And God, we need you to bring healing to the hurt of what others have done to us. Forgive us where we have wronged others. And God, forgive others where they have wronged and trespassed against us. Help us, God, to not keep replaying the past, but may we pre-play the future that you have for us, God. I pray for every person in here, Lord, that this week, they would be sensitive to the cynical areas of their life. And not only that, but they could help somebody who's become cynical have hope once again. Thank you for the hope that you've given us in Christ. May we lean on that and may we grab hold of that. And as we're praying today, church, and in a mode of prayer, we do this every week where we offer an opportunity for some of you in here today that you walked away from Christ. You walked away from your relationship with God. You decided to do your own thing, and God has welcomed you back in with open arms. He wants to know you on a deep level more than you want to know him. Your heavenly Father loves you, and you've come to Thrive Church today because it's whether for the first time ever you've never given your life to Christ, or maybe you're coming back to faith right where you're sitting. If you want to make that decision today, I want you to make this confession of faith after me. I want you to pray this prayer after me. And it's simple. You say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I know that my good works will not save me. So I choose today to trust in Jesus as my Savior and as my Lord. 
I surrender my life to Jesus Christ today. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose again on the third day. I believe he is the only way to heaven. I believe he is Lord. And today, I make Jesus Christ not only my Savior, but my Lord. God, help me to be healed from my hurts so I can live with hope as I serve you. And it's in Jesus' good name that I pray. Amen. Every week at